Kerry-Ann Powell is a global business strategist, speaker and advocate for small and medium-sized businesses. In this episode, you will learn about the importance of small and medium-sized enterprises in the world economy, strategies for maintaining positive cash flow, and the delicate balance between scaling and growth. Kerry-Ann shares insights on building and maintaining rockstar teams, how to execute strategic objectives with excellence, and the importance of having an exit strategy. I thought initially that I wanted to be a doctor. That was originally, so I went to school's pre-med, um, but I majored in psychology. And so, you know, I was quite good at psychology. So, um, and not so good at chemistry, <laughs> even though I was like, quite good at biology, but chemistry, I was like, I failed it twice. So I was like, yeah, so maybe I'm not gonna go to medical school. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I was really excited about, you know, the idea of becoming a, I was, my goal was to become a neuroscientist. That was the goal I was gonna do. And I really shifted so quickly. Like at some point I was spending a lot of time doing research at, in university um, with a really prominent neuroscientist, he, you know, but he was coming from the psychology side of things, but he, you know, and I was doing, I did two years of my time in college doing um, research with him in, in the lab. And we were working on pigeons, you know, please don't come at me for the animal rights people, but we were using pigeons <laughs> to sort of look at their brains to sort of see how uh, people who have Alzheimer's might, you know, you sort of visually see things, but you don't cognitively recognize things that you see. So we sort of were trying to figure out what that looks like. And so I did that for two years. When it was time to apply, I had a pretty much a shoe into some really good programs. But when it was time to apply, I realized the way I'm constituted, <laughs> I didn't think that I would be very happy spending a great deal of time just doing research for my most of my life. And then sort of when I'm dead, you know, people are like looking at my research and, and, re and you know, sort of duplicating it. So I just remember telling my parents, you know, literally the, the, the month before I was getting ready to graduate and the applications were due, I went home and uh, my parents, I said, like, you know, my parents were ready to help me, you know, put all the applications together. And I was like, I'm kind of thinking that I might not do this again. And they're like, um, okay, they're very supportive. But they're like, so then what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I have really no plans. They're like, well, pack up your stuff after graduation. You're coming home. <laughs> and I was like, no, I want to stay in my college town because I was, I, you know, I had a great church that I really enjoyed. I had lots of my friends that were still there. I didn't want to go home. Who wants to go home after they graduate? But I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, that was really the journey of me sort of really understanding who I really was. I ended up getting a job working for the um, United Way, which is a large nonprofit in the United States. Started doing that, realized I was quite good at it, became a really excellent uh, professional fundraiser. Then I realized there were so many problems in the world, I wanted to fix them, so I went to law school, became a constitutional lawyer, moved to Washington, D.C., did the whole thing, um, got a chance to get back into fundraising to build the Martin Luther King Memorial. And then, you know, from there I said, well, what do you do after this? And then I started the business. Yeah, I mean, that is a, a whirlwind of a career in such a, a short space of time. It's like, oh, maybe a doctor, you know, very good, highly respectable career. Okay, maybe not. Okay, maybe psychology. Okay, maybe not. And then, you know, lawyer. Okay, I'll train as a lawyer. But something you mentioned there was, was fundraising. And a lot of entrepreneurs know that fundraising can be key or, you know, not so key in your career, your business's yeah. success. Yeah. So 
you're more fundraising for the non-profit side of things but you know the rules of fundraising is still the same i wonder if you could talk me through it's sales (laughs) i just got a real quick um you know free education (laughs) i guess early days in my career on how to ask for money and when you ask for money it doesn't matter if you're asking for money because you're you know you're you you have a great cause and you want someone to give because it resonates with their beliefs and their values or whether it's because you have a product that you think this particular person would get value from it and you're asking for money for that or you're asking for an investor to invest in your company because you believe in your company and you want them to believe in it too same concept it's all about an exchange of something and they're going to give you the money for something that you're going to ask value. It's the same. <laughs> yeah. And, and how do I go about, or how does the listener go about getting that idea into people's head? Because in your head, it's clear why you need this money, but sometimes we waffle on and we can't translate yes. our message in a, in a succinct key way that, you know, yeah. raises conviction in somebody. That's a really good question, Sam. There's, there's two prongs to it. There's a practical side of it where you do need to test out messaging. So, and also you need to know who it is you're speaking to, to understand what they care about and their motivations for giving or to, for the investing or whatever. It doesn't matter whether you think they should invest because the company is whatever. They're going to invest for their own reasons. And people give money for logical reasons and for emotional reasons. So you need to sort of understand who you're speaking to and understand what you think their logical reasons will be and what their emotional reasons will be. Some people also are more logical than emotional. So they'll lean more. They need like, you know, five logical reasons to one emotional reason versus others lean more towards leaving more emotional reasons with logical Either way, you need to know who you're speaking to so that you can be able to communicate what it is that the, what you think their motivation would be for purchasing or for investing or for anything, whatever their exchange of money and also what their reasons, their, their, their logical reasons and their emotional reasons. Okay, so that's one thing. The, other, the messaging part, not just around what, they, what the person thinks, but being able to message what you're saying. I think a lot of times people go into the weeds about the, nobody cares about how the sausage is made. So don't even try to go there. They want a a bigger picture. So if for some reason you are having, test out a couple ways of saying it, like literally with a group of people and your friends, family, take them all to dinner and say a couple ways, you know, a different ways of saying it and do it. I also, you know, our firm actually, worked with um, a brand script person from Donald Mineral's company and we helped they helped us to sort of formulate you know because I'm a very sort of like you know I'm a lawyer by trade so my brain comes very much like you know here's what we do but they're like yeah but tell me a bit more so we really did actually bring on someone who's who's good at this stuff and sometimes you need to bring someone on who's good at that stuff so you know finding the messaging part is really important so that's one side The other side of it though, really, so that's the messaging and all that stuff. The other side is how, like how you communicate. I have found that the most authentic people are the ones that get the sale. There are times when I'm not selling people that I'm just talking about what we, what I do in my business. And they're like, 
oh really? Can I get your card so I can call you? Because I really have this problem. And I didn't even realize, I, I hadn't, there was not a sales thing. I was just talking about what it is that we do. So I think it's really important to have a, have authenticity in the way you communicate. And particularly now because of social media, People have more emotional intelligence in the sense that, not emotional intelligence, maybe that's not probably the right word, but they can pick up on people's cues when people are more inauthentic because people are always on social. So you, there's a bit of skepticism around whether or not someone, even if someone is, you know, I saw a video of, of a celebrity, I won't tell who it is because I, re I really like her, but she was on a show and she started, um, she was like on a talk show and then she started crying. And I thought she was, you know, genuine, but then things were going on and then she kind of stopped crying. And I was like, I was like, how do you stop crying so quickly? And go, <laughs> you're in an emotional state and now you're yeah, crying. You know, like, you know, sense. the only time that's ever happened was my parents, you know, looked at me and I'm crying. They look at me like, and then I can stop crying real fast. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just suck those tears straight back up. Yeah. It's like it never happened. As if nothing happened. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine. So, you know, but my point is, though, you know, because people are much more um, exposed to how other people operate and how they're how they're communicating, you want to be as 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 authentic as you possibly can. Obviously, that is not does not mean that you are not professional. That doesn't mean that you are not carrying yourself well. It just simply means try to get into whatever is within you that why you truly actually think what it is that you do or what you're trying to sell or what you're trying to get an investment from really does work and 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 try to tap into that emotion as opposed to that idea of you know performance performance doesn't really go very well when you're trying to get someone to give and particularly when they're trying to part real money i mean i've asked people for millions and you know when you're asking someone for millions they can sniff something out real quick. Yeah. I mean, as well as, you know, making sure your messaging's right and, you know, having the confidence to ask for this money for whatever reason it is yes. that you believe in, you can't do it all alone. You know, if you're asking someone for millions, it's not because you want to have it in your personal checking account. It's because you have a vision to build Precisely. something and to build something, you need a team. Yes. And so I I'm wondering for you, you know, you said you've raised millions and asked for millions what kind of people are you putting in this team? Because you mentioned about, you know, if someone's better than something at you, such as, you know, branding or marketing, get a person in as a consultant or get a person into your team. But, you know, let's, let's say we're building a business. How can we make sure we build the best team possible for our success? What are the kind of core qualities we're looking for? You in know, these that's people? such a very, that's an excellent question, Sam. I, what I have found, it's, it's not just about, the first, first foundational thing that you're building your business around is just being able to sort of take a look and, and look at the org chart. I know that sounds really basic and that's like, oh, what to do? Build a group, you know, one of those, you know, top five things to do. But when you build the org chart for your company, not the org chart that sort of, you know, you know, a template on somebody's website, you look at your business, only you know your business well. You create that organizational chart that makes sense for your business. You have the roles, whether they're in boxes or circles. First, really start, you know, depending on what stage of business you're at. I'm assuming that, you know, folks kind of are in business for a bit of a couple people. But say you have a couple people and things aren't working very well. I always recommend this kind of thing. I learned this from um, Michael Gerber, writer of the E-Myth. 
old school book, but still like very relevant. And his his thought was, look, you, you know, you've got a whole messed up team situation happening. That's sort of company 1.0. That's working. You got to keep it moving. You can't stall, call, you know, stop the business and whatever. But then now you have company 2.0. So you have your org, org chart. Okay. Now let's assume like if you're early days in the business and you're just starting, that's even better. You're better than most of us, right? You start now. You do that org chart. Now, when the roles, you're not just saying, okay, this is a, I need someone that is the title. Like, I'm going to need a director of social media or whatever. Um, you really start looking at what is the role? What do you actually do in that role? And you document that. Then you, then you sort of say, what temperament would need to be in this type of role? Because guess what? You're the one working the role or you can observe what's happening in your business, you know, business 1.0 and see how the person in that role is performing. Is it working well for them? Is their temperament a good? And then some sort of like, what are some of the X factor things that you, that you notice that you need that you can't sort of articulate, but you know, it's there. And then from there, then you start interviewing. So you do all of that for everyone and you start from the bottom up and you start being able to interview people who first quality is self-motivation. They need to be self-motivated individuals, individuals that are not self-motivated. You're going to have a very difficult time when things, when, when the honeymoon phase is over. So you need to find a way to be able to assess their level of self-motivation through um, examples of other things that they've done in their lives, like ask them stories, not, oh, I, you know, I was the social media manager for this Fortune 500 company and blah, 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 blah. I, no, you want to know, like, tell me a story of when you had a, you know, you had a, a situation where you really didn't want to do something, but you end up doing it anyway. Um, and you didn't get appraised for it. Like, you know, some of some questions that really get people to sort of, you know, and ask them several questions so you can get a sense of whether they're self-motivated. There's a lot of great personality tests out there that people are using. I don't necessarily like to use them for the purpose of hiring, but it does help you understand when you do bring them in sort of their, 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 their way of being. So self-motivation is the number one key. Once you have that, then even if like you don't have to hire people that are super rock stars, you, want, you can hire people that may not have the credentials in, you know, on their resume, but people who, you know, you could be able to train people who, you know, that are excited about working for you that want to work for something, you know, a project that's bigger than themselves. They want to do something well. And then look, then once you sort of have that sense, then look at your criteria. So once you do that, you really have a better opportunity to get the right person in the right seats on the bus and be able to get them going. You also want to make sure you have values in the business Then you know, how we do things here. What are the, you know, how does that work? You keep building it out. You work yourself out of the job, the lower, you know, the, not the lower level, meaning like the less important, but the more junior staff and you just keep moving up and up until, you know, it's only you at the top and you're trying to then be a strategic leader in the company as opposed to working in it. Yeah, I mean, strategy is something that's really important and I'll probably touch on that in a bit. But something I want to kind of get more insight on from you is, okay, let's say we get this team growing, you know, we've got a good amount of people, we're going to be like, okay, we're going to stick with these people. But how do we maintain these people? How do we make sure they stay 
for the long term because at the end of the day yeah you're going to lose employees you know due to maybe better pay or better working conditions or, or life changes that you can't really avoid but what can we do on the you know prevention side of things to make sure that employees want to stay yeah sam it's it's a, it's really difficult because turnover is one of the most expensive things a business um can have the amount of money that you spend i don't, I don't remember the stats right now um i used to know them off the top of my head but what it costs for you to replace someone is oftentimes multiples what their salary is. So it um, it's really important to keep people in. So that's a really, really, really good question, Sam. So here's one of the things that I think is really important. First things first. There's this whole myth out there that people don't want to work. Yep. And that people somehow are lazy and whatever the thing is. Don't know where that myth came from. It's, you know, a lie from the pit of hell. People want to work for plate for employers that respect them and that they respect, that have values that are aligned with their values and that they can feel like they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. So your job is to just get out the way. Make sure that you're creating a culture that, provide that allows people to feel like their giftings are valued and it's not just about good pay because some people are really willing to forfeit moving to another company for a higher pay because they like the company they're with or they like the people they work with or they like the culture or they have you know they or they're like yeah over there pays more but it has a bad reputation as an employer so yes, if you can't compete with the big dogs, if you know that there's only but so much you have in your budget to be able to pay that particular person, you create, you create an environment for them that makes them really thrive, helping them to provide opportunities so they can be able to grow, helping them to be able to learn additional skills, giving them opportunities for autonomy, opportunities for leadership, understanding what their motivations are, you know, I heard Gary Vee uh, did a talk I thought it was really great. Gary Vee said, look, you know, you need to know what your, the motivations are of each employee and what their motivations are as they move along. So he was saying, you know, he had hired a young guy, um, you know, in his early 20s. This guy was all about the money, all about learning, all about growing. And then at some point in time, you know, as you know, he was loyal to the company. So he, you know, he found a girlfriend, then they eventually got married. They had his first kid. His motivations are different now, right? Understand those motivations, understand what your team needs. And not everyone need, has the same motivation. So you just need to understand what they need. Now, obviously, as you grow, so some of the businesses that I've worked with, some of the larger ones are at about 100. That's probably the one that you, I work with small and medium-sized companies. So let's say they're at about 100 employees. It's difficult for the CEO to really know those 100 versus when you first started out, you got five folks and you, you, know, you know them very well, right? So you can find ways. One way is to just sort of you know, have a, a, a regular touch base with the manager so you can sort of understand a bit more about what's going on in your employees' lives. Um, you definitely want to have at some point bring in a chief of staff 
that can sort of be more touched to the ground than you are. And then eventually, at some point, you're going to be ready for an HR person. But an HR person, not just HR for the policy type HR stuff, but for, you know, the idea of we are about people, you know, making employees a priority, sort of the priority in the business. So to your to my point here is you want to create an environment that is inclusive, that is respectful, that there's respect both ways that they are aligned with your values and that you're aligned with, you know, that you understand what their interests are and give them space to grow and give them space to sort of own their, own their stuff because people get bored real easily. I think I was hearing what one company, a CEO, one of the big, big companies, he was like, the reason why we began to grow, it wasn't because we had this plan to be like a massive company. It was because we didn't really have anywhere else for our, you know, our, our team to go higher. So we just kept adding departments and, you know, products so that we could keep moving them up. And then eventually they grew, you know, so your team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been speaking a lot on the stuff around a business. So we've thought, cool, this is how we fundraise, get the messaging, right? All that kind of stuff. The money's come in. We've got the people we're building on that core vision. And we've, you know, got everything going in the right way for us. Let's say this is ideal circumstances we're talking about here. We'll get to the terrible stuff probably a bit later. <laughs> but we've gathered all these people. We've got enough money to pay them or we're making enough money to pay them. But how do we make sure we're leading them to the right place? How do we get that strategy in place that ensures yeah. the main objective, which is the success of our business? Yeah, yeah so I believe strategy... Um, is early days in the business. Um, a lot of times, small and medium-sized owners of small and medium-sized companies feel like, oh, you know, I'll do a strategic plan when I'm, you know, at a certain level or something. It's sort of like it's for the big dogs, right? And um, my my posture is do it now, do it early, and do it often. So if you can really think about, you know, I sort of think of okay, there's a vision of the company. I like to think of the vision of the company that has three components, okay? It's the purpose. The purpose is sort of a short, pithy statement about what it is that you really do. And I would say battle with that statement. Battle with it. Sit with it. Like, what do we really do? A short, pithy statement. At my company, it's we're in the business of helping businesses thrive. That's it. It helps you to sort of point everyone due north, right? So a very short, pithy statement. So that's your purpose. You also want to know your values. And those values and beliefs can be interchangeable. We want to know what you're all about. Okay? So for us, we believe business is fun. (laughs) Yeah? We also believe that small and medium-sized businesses are vital to our economies. We also believe that everyone we interact with, we we interact with them with full-on respect. So there's a couple other values, but figure out what your values are. So we've got... We've got the purpose, we've got the values. Then you need that core strategic goal. What is that core strategic goal? Jim Collins, he has that statement of BHAG. It's now become a part of you know, business pay, prelance. Um, the big, hairy, audacious goal. That's what, you're, that's what you want to describe as your core strategic goal. That, you're talking about like 15 years into the future. What is your business? It's what points us towards the, you know, the, the, the future, because I'm telling you, you know, I was, I, I wrote a post the other day on, on LinkedIn. I said, you know, I, 
I'm a bit of a GPS, yeah? Internally. I just happen to be really good at directions. It's just a thing. I don't really own it as if somehow it's like a thing, a skill that I learned. It's just like God gave it to me and I'm good with it, okay? So my friends and family often often rely on my, G my internal GPS. When we go on traveling, particularly if we're in places that are a little obscure, you can't get GPS on your phone. So usually if I can sort of get a couple of landmarks, I'm able to navigate us through. So I was with a friend the other day and um, we were traveling some obscure place in, in Spain and um, she was following me. She's a little bit timid when it comes to getting lost in different places that they're not like. So I was like, you know, but I at some point I realized I really didn't know where we were. I was having a hard time getting, you know, the GPS on my phone. I was like, I'm not really sure, but I was pretty confident that I was going in the right direction that we'd get there at some point. But I really wasn't sure where I was and I was doing this thing. So I never, she kept asking me, are we, are we going to the right place? Are we going to I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, we're good. You know, I'm like, I don't want to tell her that. And then eventually she's like, Carrie Ann, you don't know where you're going. I'm like, well. She's like, I'm heading back to town. <laughs> okay. So we're walking back to town. I couldn't convince her to, to trust me anymore. And she was like, I'm not going anywhere. We didn't go to the spot. We thought it was a cool spot. We didn't have it get up going. And she turned around and was like, I'm leaving out. Deuces. Okay. That is how, when you don't have a core strategic goal, that's really solid. You may not say you don't know where you're going, but your team, your body language, the way you operate, they can tell. And eventually folks will be like either deuces or they're staying there because they have to make a living. They got to feed their families. They're staying there, but they're not bought into it. They're not following you into any brick walls. They're not doing any of that, which people will do, to be honest. I've run into brick walls for leaders that I really you know, trusted. So having a core strategic goal created helps you to really be clear about the direction of the organization. So that's the vision, your purpose, your values, your core strategic goal. And then you then once you have that, then you start bringing this down to the ground. I don't believe strategic planning is something that's highfalutin. I don't think some, only smart people can do it. I think it's something that can be done by everyone. So you start first with do your one, two, and three years out, no more than three. Create a goal that's gonna be getting you to that 15 year course with your goal, okay? Then you start looking at the first year, you start breaking those down into what I call FAOs, focus area objectives. So if, say for instance, you said something there, you wanted to have, you know, in the 15 years, you want to be a, you know, whatever, $15 billion company. And so maybe in one year you want to hit the 5 million mark. So that would be one FAO would be your $5 million year. And maybe in there you said you wanted to have a diverse team of employees from various different parts of the world. So that would be diverse employee pool. And then maybe you'll have, you know, clients um, expanding from North America to Europe, Africa, Asia. So you'd say, okay, you know, um, diverse client pool. Though that would be three FAOs. So you've got three focus area objectives. You create the objective around that. You describe what you want that to look like. Once you have those FAOs, then you're cooking with mustard, right? You come up with whatever those tactics will be to get you to that particular FAO. You create the ownership of it. And once you do that, then you start bringing up what the KPIs would look like for each of those tactics and also what kind of milestones you want to have that will be able to take you to so you can see what it will look like. 
And then each person then owns what their weekly and daily tasks will be. And you every day, every week, you put that in front of people. And remember, people communicate differently, Sam. So I might be good at reading one of my dearest, dearest friends. If I tell her something, it's a 50-50 chance that she'll remember. I mean, I'm talking about a real important part of my life kind of thing. And she still might forget, you know. But if, I, if she read it, if I texted it to her, once she reads it, it's stuck in her head. She's also an author, right? So she, it's stuck in her head. Some people are visual. If you have sort of visual things in, um, and if you have an office and a physical space, you know, visual things that help people to sort of see, have the, 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 the goals in front of them. Or if, if you guys are remote and if you're like, you know, we, we use the Zoho problem. So if we're in click, you know, you sort of constantly be reminding people what your goals are. So people can sort of receive that remember yep this is what we're working for because when people are doing things on a day-to-day they have to connect that to what it is we're working for or else just like my friend she will turn around and be like deuces or i'll sit here i'll work but i'm not really engaged yeah I mean, it's, it's like lining up everything in a row right now. It's like, okay, you know, once we've got this bit done, you do this, you do that. And, it's, you know, it's a lovely kind of step-by-step plan, but there might be someone out there who's a bit further along the line. It's like, okay, I can't go back and fix all these types of things. But I'm wondering what are some of the common things you see people having problems with and what are the strategies to overcome, you know, especially in smaller to medium-sized businesses, because I'm sure one of the listeners out there is running a small to medium sized business right now and they're coming up against one of these problems but they might be too scared to even address it because they don't know how yeah yeah that's um you know it's really hard um sam when particularly when you've invested you know your family's money into building a business and you know time away from your your kids and all of that you can't just you know go home and be like <laughs> I want to go back and work for someone, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you're, you're in it, <laughs> you're in it fast. So, um, but I think the first thing I would say is you're not alone. Whatever the issue, whatever the madness, whatever the chaos is that's in your business, you're not alone. This is not, this is, um, whatever it is. And I, and I, and I'm going to say this like unequivocally, and I don't know, no, I don't know what's going on in your business, but I know for a fact that if it's happening in your business, someone else is experiencing it. I think that idea of me too, that idea of you're not alone, I'm doing it too, I'm experiencing that, it really eliminates the shame because people have shame around things that they think they should have been doing, but not doing. They have shame around it and shame, it paralyzes movement. It keeps you from moving forward. It keeps you stuck. So I just want to say that just sort of from a mindset perspective. Okay, so you got something going on in the business. Here's, here are some of the common ones that I've noticed. Perpetual, consistent cash flow problems. Just per- perpetual. I'm not talking about the random sort of up and down that happens in different stages of the business. I'm talking about perpetually having cash flow problems. There can be many, many reasons for that. It could be, you know, um, uh, it could be that you just have very low margins. It could be their product formulation is off. It could be, you know, you don't have a good sales process. It could be a number of different things. But if that's the problem that you just are having a cash flow problem, let me just give you this for now. It is 
when you think of all the businesses that fail, we all have heard the statistics, you know, by 10 years, 70% of businesses would be, yeah, whatever. It's sad, it's depressing, we're not gonna go through that. However, of all those businesses that have failed, the number one reason is because of lack of cash. So if you are having a cash flow problem, I know it's easier to kind of put your head in the ground and you know use your Amex to pay payroll and all the things that we all do to sort of you know band-aid things together. I'm going to recommend you take your like try your best to get your head out of the ground a bit and begin to confront it. One way you can confront it is simply by creating a a, a forecasting a cash forecasting. Um, you can use it just you can just do a sheet on Google Sheets, or you can do something fancy, okay? But you want to start forecasting. I had a conversation with a podcast host the other day, and I said, yeah, do a forecast for a year. And she's like, that is ridiculous. Most small businesses don't even know what's happening in two months. How can they forecast for a year? Well, that's the muscle right now, right? So you have an idea of what you got to pay people so you can put that on your forecast. Okay, you know how much it costs for your for your QuickBooks. You know how much it costs for your you know to, to pay your vendors and so forth. Put everything that you know on there, and then start. Maybe you can look back at last year's um, last year's uh, receipts and try to, and just basically duplicate that. It's not going to be perfect, but the first when you start forecasting, then it gives you an opportunity to begin to sort of get some sort of a vision of what's happening. You know why this works, Sam? Is because when you can look a year out, you can look and say, oh, okay, we're in August right now or whatever month you're in. Um, in five months from now, it looks like this client's rolling off and this big bill is coming. And if we don't do something to fix that gap, we're going to go into the red, in the red, real, real red. So... There you can kind of begin to say, talk to your vendors and say, hmm, maybe I can push this bill back a bit. Can we split it up a bit? Do we start paying a bit more on it? Or do you need to ramp up your sales to bring in another client to be able to, you know, fill the gap? Or do you need to be able to find another way to, um, you know, to, to, to add maybe up another product line? Or do you have some accounts out there that clients haven't paid? You need to start hustling to start calling people and saying, you know, let's bring in the cash. Whatever you need to do, once you see it on paper, it's hard to ignore it. But the issue is a lot of people don't have it on paper. They're forecasting out for maybe three months if. And so you really don't know. You don't have the bigger picture down the road. So if you're having a cash flow problem, and again, release the shame. You're not alone. Um... But you do need to confront it. It's a big deal. What I would recommend the first step to do is just start forecasting. That will help you begin to get your muscles in. And of course, if you don't have a bookkeeper, that's a, that's a number. That's an important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that person that said businesses don't know what's happening two months out, let alone a year out. But cash flow is the only thing that keeps your business alive. As much as you might want to finance your business off debt, as soon as your cash flow positive, it's a great place to be. And actually on well, it formerly known as formerly known as Twitter, X, I saw someone posted, I guess it's still called a tweet in my world, but he was tweeting about how his business at the moment is seeing its seasonal dip because it's summertime, people don't really work or these types of events aren't happening, etc., etc. And a lot of people are in the comments like, oh my gosh, aren't you worried about this? He's like, no, 
I've been in business for five years. I know this is what happens now. And all I know is that, you know, basically there's more work to be doing or I can be doing a lot more R&D or a lot more building. But if you can't see the seasonality of your business and if you're kind of, for lack of a better word, stupid enough to think that your business is a evergreen, all seasons business, you're not seeing the inner workings of your business. You're not seeing the trends of, you know, the Western world or even the Eastern world. Like for example, around Christmas time, Unless you're selling anything gift or present related, no one's interested in what you're doing. (laughs) From November to January, everybody's broke because we're all seeing family. We're all traveling, going up, down Mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's certain other times your business might be booming. But if you don't do this cash forecast, you know, based on either historic evidence or what you think the future might look like, you're just you're just living every day kind of, you know, willy nilly. It's willy nilly. <laughs> you can't you can't you can't live like that. And and the stress of it all and you know, people like I think there's this ethos out there that somehow, oh, you know, running a business needs to feel like I'm toughing it through and I'm like uh, that's that's for the birds. <laughs> I'm not about that life. Yeah. Well, th- I mean there is that whole thing about, you know, hustling and getting through and you know, if you're not showing up every day at 5 a.m. and finishing when you're passing out on your keyboard, then you ain't really doing anything. But you know, part of your business plan can be that, okay, I'm gonna work at this for the next three to five years and then I'm gonna find an exit. And an exit isn't always a seven figure, you know, money in your bank, I can go live on the beach in in the Caribbean. Yeah, sometimes an exit plan is as simple as this team of people that I've got working for me, I'm going to make sure that they have further employment because I want to get out of this. I want to go and take, you know, the decent money I've made as a salary here or the value I've built here somewhere else for more money and not focus on running this. So I'm also kind of wondering how you can explain to me the process of building an exit plan and kind of the essential elements of creating an exit plan. That's not always money focused. It's more mindset focused lifestyle focused experience focused yeah for the entrepreneur uh, you know i'm so glad you brought up the exit plan thing because whenever i bring it up and people are just like what are you talking about exit plan you know i just i'm still trying to build this thing and um you know i understand the the weird the weirdness of it all you know it's almost like you know when people do um you know prenups Right. And, you know, they're like, we haven't even gotten married yet. You know, that sort of feeling. So I understand how it feels a bit paradoxical. But I do think it's really important because not only an exit plan or an exit strategy helps you understand what kind of business you're building. It, 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 it puts in place that thing. If you know you want to sell a business for multiples, then you're building a business where really early days where you are irrelevant, right? Because I think I heard, um, I think it was Ryan D said, um, the more valuable you are to your business, the less valuable your business is. So if you're building a business, if you're, if you have an exit strategy, then it helps you remember that you've got to make yourself irrelevant to the business. That's where you start doing the systems, the processes, making sure you have a scalable plan to move that business forward. Okay, so let's say you have all of that, you know, you know, you know, you want to sell it. Some of the things you really or you could decide you want to pass it on to your children, which is another thing, because, by the way, um, I think the stats on 
second, third, third generation businesses are abysmal. So you really want to say, if you want to pass this on to your children or to some other family member, then you need to make sure that you are doing, you know, you are bringing in people into the business early, early days and, and that you're really setting yourself up for, for, for success. But what I noticed is that a lot of business owners will wait till they're really like hit to hitting the stage of when they're going to want to exit. And then all of a sudden they start trying to talk to the kids who already have their careers or maybe get the grandkids involved. So you have to start early if you, if you think you want to pass it on to, to your family. Okay. All right. Let's say what you want to do then is maybe, um, you know, have a, you know, sell the business to the people that are currently in the business. Okay. Which is one of the things that you were talking about, Sam. And I think to me, to be honest with you, that's one of the better ways to do it. Whereas the people that are working, who've been working with you 15 years in, they love the business more than you at this point, because that's, it's giving them fulfillment. If you're creating a good culture, um, giving them fulfillment, it's what gives them the ability to make a living and to provide for their families and create the life that they want to live. So you can begin to start thinking about, okay, if you think you want to be able to sell the business to people within the business, as you're building the business, you start having different conversations with the people you're hiring. You start hiring differently. You start giving people more autonomy to be able to do certain things. You make yourself more irrelevant. So sort of three ways you can go about doing, I'm sure there's other ways, but those are the three main ways that you would go about exiting your business. So in terms of the you know the quality of like one of the things you really want to be thinking about is particularly if you're planning on you know giving it to your kids or passing it on to people who are in the business you're going to have to be able to provide for yourself right once you exit so there's you know a number of insurance um products that are out there that most business owners will have so either if they have a partnership, they'll be sort of like an insurance policy for both and different ways that, so you'd want to obviously consult a professional on this, but you want to be thinking about not just, you know, how you're going to pass it on, but how are you going to support yourself in when you've retired? Or even if it just means, you know, what you're going to do, even, you know, in the, in, in maybe a new project or whatever. So you want to definitely be paying attention to what that's going to look like for you. I remember having a conversation with um, a company and we actually ended up um, not bringing them on board um, because it, they, the company, it was a great company. I mean, I love, I love, I love small businesses. Gosh, they're just sparky. So this company was a, um, a, a printing, a, 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 a fabric printing company and they would sell like jerseys and those types of things to um, wholesalers, and then those wholesalers would send them out to whether it's, um, you know, major football teams or whether it was large um, institutions like, you know, like a Macy's or, a, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue or something. Okay, fine. The company was built by, was started by a gentleman, and then the, um, he brought on someone, um, a, um, a woman who um, came on early days in the business, and it's almost like it's there. It's the both of their business because um, I think the number was 60 to 70% of the people that work in the business are related to either one of those two individuals. I mean, we're talking daughters, nieces, cousins, aunts, uncles, you know, it's just the whole business is 
And they really, and the older generation now, they'd been around, I think, for 20 years. They had probably a team of about 50 or so, 50 to 5 um, people. And they, they wanted to start retiring and exiting and start having a life, you know? Um, yeah. Like short, like five, six, seven years. And I'm like, I don't see how you're going to do this because there was maybe one thing was in play was they had sort of tapped or ordained one younger person to, you know, be maybe that would be the, the, the CEO of the company. And they had kind of, you know, brought them on, gave them some training, sent, you know, sent them to university. So they were thinking that maybe they would bring them on. But there's no guarantees there. There's no guarantees that she's going to be a good leader. They haven't really done the work. And so, um, you know, this is like a cautionary tale. I'm sure that they'll figure it out, obviously, because people are geniuses. You know, we have the capacity. But you don't want to be in that case where you're, you want to leave and you can't because you don't, you have all these people that work for you and a lot of them are family, but you can't really figure out how to support the, the older generation in terms of how are, like, how are they going to get paid for their retirement is really the issue. So you don't want to build a business and it not be able to sustain you in the end. Okay. So that's really an important part of it. And I think to, um, if it depends on you know your type of personality, right? There are some people that are like core in their core. All of all of us are entrepreneurs, right? But some people have a personality of entrepreneurship. So for them, it's like you build a company, get it going, and then move on, right? And build another one, and then move on. Um, I have a little bit of that, so I so I get that desire. So if that's you, how you want to start moving in? So you don't really know. You're not going to be in it for too long, okay? You're looking like maybe like eight years six to eight years probably is where the average how you get that situation so you're not sort of you're not in it for the long haul okay and you're not thinking about retiring from it or passing it on to your kids or whatever you just want to you know do it get it you start bringing in leadership that's different that has different skill sets than you so you want to start bringing in the implementer then you the gentleman who um uh, I think it's called, it's Impact Labs, that, that sort of, uh, sort of lab uh, um, incubator that was sort of like the first incubator on, in, in the Bay Area. I think it's, I think it's Impact Labs. I'm not really sure, but I saw him present. I think it had a really great TED Talk. And he was, he has this really interesting graph of the four types of personalities of leadership that you want to begin to bring in at what stage so that you can be able to exit out. And, you know, so there's you, the entrepreneur, then there's sort of the implementer, then there's sort of the, the sustainer, okay? So you want to start thinking about, so like, so there's that sort of idea of like, you're going to be in it for long term, you're going to retire from it at the age of whatever, 50 or 60 or whatever it is that you want to retire from it, okay? And most entrepreneurs never want to retire early because they just love to work. <laughs> that's very common. Yeah. But let's say that's, so that's one sort of thing. We've talked about that. Then if you're thinking, well, okay, six, six eight years or whatever, you want to start bringing in people real fast, like knowing what stage of the company you are in, where you need to bring in an implementer, where you need to bring in a sustainer, where you need to bring in a manager. And so those types of personality types that are leadership styles allow for it to grow and expand and for you to be able to exit stage left or operate in the business in a way that, you know, doesn't really... 
not the way that you would normally have been, at, you know, in startup phase. So you want to sort of think about more, how do you get uh, the, the right people in there so that you can be able to sort of play around with other things. And exit strategy for you may be not really exiting, but more becoming sort of like chairman of the boardy, right? So you are doing that. You still have your toe in it a bit, but you've, you know, you're not, it's not taking up all of your time, but you have other projects you can do. Because I think most entrepreneurs really don't like the idea of completely walking away from something. Or if they're walking away from something, they're walking away from something because they've been able to sell it with multiples and they're really moving on to a next project. Yeah. I mean, we've spoken through the whole process of, you know, starting, running, and then exiting or, you know, reducing your position or stake in a business to a point where it's, you know, not your whole life, which, you know, in the beginning, it is your whole life. But I'm wondering, because you said, you know, you love small businesses, all this kind of stuff. And obviously when you start a business, doesn't matter how big your dream is, it is going to be a small business. And I'm wondering what is your words of advice to someone out there who has that entrepreneurial itch or wants to start a business? What do you say to that person to kind of get them started on this journey of entrepreneurship and business? And the first thing I say is do it. Sam, just do it, right? I think that um, there's something beautiful about creating something out of nothing and creating, you know, a, a company is there for the purpose of generating value value for all the stakeholders, the owner, the employees, the customers, the investors, anyone. So the idea of building something from nothing into an entity that generates value for all of these people um, in a way that's aligned with your values, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's exciting and it's fun. And I think the good thing about ownership of, of business ownership is that it forces you to confront some of your really darker, shadowy places because, you know, you, there's some ways that you can live your life and ignore very many of the shadowy places of your life. But when you are building a business, it just comes right at you. It's, you know, it's like, oh, I have to confront this or else this is going to, you know, reflect in my balance sheets. So um, I do think it's, you know, it's something like the best way for self personal development and <laughs> evolution of one's own self. So but I would say just do it. Start. But don't start just all willy nilly without a plan. You know, we we're, you know, Sam, we've talked about a lot of things. And I hope if anyone remembers anything about what I said is, you know, have a strategic plan for how you want to get this to go. What is your core strategic vision? Really, what are you in business to do? And what are the values? Because when you're scaling, particularly the scaling stage, right, growth stage, yeah, you might not really have a problem. But when you start scaling, that's where things get a bit iffy and that's the most dangerous part of the business. And if you don't have some sort of uh, uh, values that you are holding on to, like this is what we do here and what we don't do, then things get a little quirky and, you know, people do things and, you know, it's just not a thing. So I would say, yes, just do it, but do it smart. Have a plan, you know, think about how you want to exit. I would think also to Sam, it's really important. This is found foundational, basic foundational thing. You as the owner must think about what you want your life to look like. What's your life plan? What is your mission, vision, purpose personally? And then how does it, you know, how then does 
the business align to that? Not how do you align with the business vision, but how does the business vision align to your personal life plan, your purpose, mission, and vision? Because we all have one. If you don't have it, it's in your head. If it's not written, write it down, get it out of your head so that you can be able to live. You don't want to, you can't build a business if it's not aligned to your life plan because it just doesn't work that way. Again, the business is an entity outside of yourself there for the purpose of generating value. So if it's not working and aligned with what you want in your life or what you want the future of your life to be, then tweak that, shift the vision. Don't shift your plan, shift the vision. So do it, but do it smart. Be strategic. Don't just all willy nilly because that's when all of those statistics around, you know, business failures and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not saying that the, everyone whose business has failed didn't have a plan, wasn't strategic. All I'm saying is if you are strategic, it gets you in a higher place for your business to succeed. Lovely. And you've worked with a, a number of businesses, both small, large, medium sized. But I'm wondering, you know, in and amongst all this, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, there's something around financial freedom that, and it's not just, oh, so I can buy a couple of yachts. It's about being able to have someone for me, my, my, my role models, um, the people that I saw growing up, um, people that were helping out in our community, the people that, you know, if, if this, you know, if something happened to the church needs to be fixed, the people that were putting the money in, the people that were on the boards of directors of our nonprofits, the people that were stalwart people in the community were owners of small and medium sized businesses. These are my dad's friends. These are the people who I respected. And so for me, I don't have a negative view of what um, business ownership is. I know that there is obviously some businesses have done some really terrible things in our society have been sort of the reasons why many things exist. But for the most part, I don't really have that for the people that I know. So what I love is the ability to be able to build a business, be someone who's contributing to your community, being able to be a source of financial. I mean, when you think about your employees being able to provide a lifestyle for them and their family so they, their kids can go to college or do the things that have family vacations. You can have some additional financial wealth. Look, these are real life things and be able to build a legacy after that and also provide value to your customers. There is something really um, human about that. So for me, what I find, what I find joyful is when I'm on a, with a conversation and, I, and, and the client was just couldn't see above water, right? And, and, and things were looking bad. They were even, I mean, the reality, I, mean, I have deep calm. Some of the folks are like ready to be like, I wish I could burn this whole thing down, right? Because it's such a mess. Mm. But when you have from, I want to burn this whole thing down, but I have to keep it going because this is what we've, this is what we're in. This is where we are. And then, you know, a few months later, they're like, whoa, you know, look at this, right? Our revenues and our profits are increasing. Our cash flow is 
normalizing. You know, the team is really doing well. You know, we're expanding in other areas geographically and other products. I think it's fantastic. And I find a great deal of joy just from hearing those conversations, from being able to see where someone is in chaos and they're depressed and they're frustrated and they're thinking about what, how can they make, you know, can they even hit payroll this week or whatever the problem is to, yeah, we're thriving, we're doing, and we have another vision. Like I heard one of my clients, I was doing our first video, um, um, client referral, client review, you know, I'm being, I'm like, Oh, look at us. We're being fancy now. <laughs> Cause normally we just have like the written reviews and we'll put them on the website. So we were doing, we were filming one of my clients. And so she was doing the review, her review. And she says something, you know, you realize at that moment when your clients start talking about the impact that you've made, she said, um, you know, she's a, they, they have a, a, a um, offices in Costa Rica and Brazil, um, Nigeria and in Madrid. So she was like, you know, I remember when, I remember when she hit the million, I remember when they went a little bit further, you know, I remember coming out of COVID, I went the whole thing. And on the video, she was like, yeah, we're like all about world domination. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I mean, this is a woman who, you know, comes from humble means and she is just leading the pack in her industry and you know her company's voted one of the best companies to work for in her industry. I mean, so this is what I'm talking about. And I think it's beautiful and it's joyful. Where can the people find you online? Wow. Well our website is trafalgarstrategies.co and you can find me hanging out on LinkedIn or on Instagram, which is one of my happy places. <laughs> So find me there, give me a DM. I'm a real human being and I love connecting with people. So let me know you found me here. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.